hello and welcome to Brits on Flicks. This is a mega episode this time, so we're cutting all the formalities because we want to cut down time a little bit. We can help it. Um, thanks to Brian's suggestion and my one-upmanship, we decided to do all four of the Critters movies. Five, if you include the short that was released, a fan film, yep. uh, a couple of years ago. So, Brian, tell us a little bit about your history, which is quite a long history as well, with Critters. Uh, yeah, believe it or not, for anyone listening out there, Critters is what started it all for me. Uh, it started my love affair with cinema. Um, I, I mean, I had seen films before Critters. Uh, I, you know, I, I remember the first film I ever went to the cinema was um, The NeverEnding Story, followed by E.T., followed by Peter Pan. Uh, I, you know, I have a distinct memories of that. I remember loving that cinema experience. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, my, my, my the, the passion that I have now for cinema didn't really start until we got a VCR in the 80s. And uh, I, I even remember the first video we rented was Ghostbusters. But the first film I watched repeatedly was Critters. And the reason for that is that my parents, you know, I, I've got two brothers and my parents gave each of us a video cassette and they could say, that's, you know, that's your video cassette. You take what you want on it. Don't bug us about trying to record this, that and the other. If you want something recording, you record it on that. OK, that's your tape, it's your business. So, yeah, I, you know, I saw this film, Critters, on late one night, recorded it. I remembered the cover. I remember thinking, oh, Critters, I, I saw the covers for that in the video store, and I remember that was, it, it, it was just one of them 1980s striking video covers that would always stand out in the video store, and it intrigued me, but I, you know, I was always too young to see it. And, uh, and yeah, it was on TV, I thought, I'll tape it, give it a watch, and I loved every minute of it. I was... I would have been, what would have been? I would have been 10, I think, at the time. 10, 10, maybe 11, I think, more likely 10. And, yeah, I, I watched that film every day. I would come home from school, and that was my ritual. I would go upstairs to my bedroom, and I would watch Critters. And I would quote every line of dialogue. I would uh, make sure all my friends watched it, whether they wanted to or not. Uh, I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and yeah, so that's that's really where it started. That that idea that actually you can watch a film two hundred times and still love it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, which I guess is what we all do now as film fanatics. But oh yeah. Um, much like yourself, I I I seen it in videotape. I got it from the video store. I was. Uh, one of those weird kids that wouldn't go out and play, but would spend most of his time. Like, like, I would go down to the video shop and stand for a good hour, like, and annoy the folk there because yeah. I'd just be looking at every cover. And the covers were fantastically designed. Mm. There were these. Sometimes they just didn't match the movie at all, but you always <laughs> took a chance because of that amazing cover. And I remember, like, the red writing of Critters, the little monster standing there, and it just jumped out to me. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, it's, it's Gremlins. I'll give it a shot. Um, but it's, it's very different from that, uh, thankfully. And then we got the sequels later on, all things that I watched, especially when satellite TV came out. Yeah. These were things that were on there all the time. And then when you get older and it's, the DVDs came out, one of the first box sets I bought, all four of the movies. Um, 
and yeah, it's been something that it's, it's always been there. It's never been something that I've out and out been overly passionate about. But I did like them and I watched them often. But it was it was never one that was really in the conversation of film fans, really. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why, because it's not bad movies. Um, I'd, I'd say I, I know we're going to get into them all, but across the board, they're all fairly evenish. Mm, yeah, um, and, and it's and like there's not there's not an amazing drop off at any point. I would say like, no. With, with each of the, if you look at the big '80s horror franchises. In each one of those, there's there's at least one absolute stinker, if not more. Um, mm. And I, I don't think you can say that with Quitters. I, I think there will be people out there that will argue it's just a really average franchise. And you know what? That's fair enough. Uh, I accept these movies are not Citizen Kane, but to a 10-year-old, the first film was. And because of nostalgia, I still hold it in high regard. If You know, if, if I... If I come to this franchise with my modern-day film reviewer's hat on, um, try to be objective, I accept they're not classics. I accept that at least three of them aren't even made all that well. But I don't. I can't come to, I can't come to them with that head on because just the history that they have uh, for me. So, yeah, I come to it with a sense of nostalgia and all the better for it, I think. Yeah, but I think the best thing about film fans like ourselves is we can we can look at things objectively if we want to, but mm. we can know that we can just go, you know, the heart's going to win this time. Yeah. This is something I like. Yeah. It may not be perfect, but it just speaks to me, and I love it for that. Absolutely. And it's, all, it's all down to personal preference. So, do you have a synopsis for Critters? I do. So, as, as Graham says, we'll be doing all four. So, this, this is the uh, synopsis, very short synopsis, the first film. A 12-year-old boy and a simple-minded mechanic named Charlie come to the aid of a small local farming town when a group of small furry aliens start to terrorise. To the point, concise, it's obviously somebody that knows the movie inside out, like your good self. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just jump straight into the movie. Um, rewatching this, I watched this last year actually, uh, not too long ago, and I was quite happy to rewatch it again. And the first thing that jumps out to me that I tend to forget about is how science fiction rich this is. Mm. And it starts off very much in space with this absolutely fantastic opening sequence. I think that's where most of the money went, to be fair, but <laughs> I, I, I love it. What do you think of this whole, this whole intergalactic prison thing and the crates and the bounty hunters and all that? Yeah, I, I mean, it's very low budget. Uh, I mean, like, I, again, there's there's those two sides. I personally love it. I I think it's got a uh, you know a bit of a a low rent alien slash Star Wars vibe about it, but clearly no way near as as big a budget as either one of those two films. Um, but yeah, it it is. They're going for that kind of vibe. Uh, they, they've like as they establish, I think, within this opening sequence. Just the fact that there is a, a whole universe out there with all kinds of stuff going on, like an intergalactic police force, if you will. Um, and, and it does kind of leave you wanting more of that. Mm. You, you kind of make, it, it leaves you with an interest of, oh, well, it'd be nice to stick with these guys actually for a bit and, and just see where do these crites come from? Who, who's this dude in the chair who looks like 
Davros from Doctor Who, and you know, uh, yeah. So I do like that it does kind of build a universe already. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think it's fantastic. Even watching it second time round, I think it's. Um, you say it's the it's the low rent looks sci-fi, but I. I just think it's terrific. Um, I think it definitely fits an aesthetic of the eighties of what it's going for, mm. and I, I could watch that kind of movie. Look, ninety minutes, I'd be happy to watch that because it looks as if there's a lot of love put into it, a lot of effort, mm. um, and I think it's terrific. And then you get the the bounty hunters. Well, first of all, let's just talk about the crates. I I love the fact that it's not just some weird mutant that happens on Earth. You know, this is a species that's. Yes. Um, causing trouble in the galaxy and they aren't just um, carnivorous automatons. You know, they, they're mm. characters. They are a species who can communicate mm. and work together. Um, it's not just monsters that have been created because there's been a leakage at the nuclear power plant or something wacky or somebody's called a demonic yeah. person upon something or other. It, it, it has a reason and it fits perfectly in the movie. I like that a lot. Mm. And and right off the bat as well, it means that they will always be able to do sequels and you wouldn't have to explain why there's yet another sequel. Like, you know, something like Gremlins, whatever, um, you kind of get to that sense where, oh, for crying out loud, if these people haven't learnt the, the art of not spilling water on these things or feeding them after midnight yet, a rule that never made sense, quite frankly, um, then... <laughs> Then yeah, they're never gonna learn. But when it's when it's aliens that can just come down at any point, yeah, that that's how you start each film. Critters come, you know, and you can throw them into whatever situation you want. I mean, as it turns out, they don't do that with this series, but they could if they wanted to. They could start over and just a new batch just come down from whatever planet they come from, uh, and and yeah. So and and you know, going back to Gremlins, I think. In the eighties, Gremlins was a pretty big thing. You know, it's, it's one of those movies from the eighties that a lot of people have nostalgia about. And for me personally, like I, I grew up on Gremlins as well. It was one of those videos that, uh, you know, that that we saw quite a lot, uh, even before Critters. You know, because obviously it came out before Critters. And I think a lot of people would easily kind of slam Critters for being a Gremlins knockoff. And to a large degree, it is in the sense that yeah, you've got little monsters running around attacking people. But I personally think that's where it begins, and that's also where it ends. Because I I I personally think that the the rules with the gremlins are a little bit muddled, and I feel like the logic isn't there. There's no real internal logic within the film. Whereas I, I've always felt that there's a lot more internal logic with critters. It makes more sense, and again, that comes from the fact that these are aliens and uh, yeah. and not just some random thing that are on Earth that some crazy Chinese guy knows about, and yet no one else on the planet does. Um, so, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Gremlins, and I think I think it had a part to play in Critters being there. But I did a little bit of research on it, and I found out that Critters was written well before. Uh, Gremlins was even conceived. Was it? it just no, yep, yep. Oh, it just it never had the budget to make it. But I think with Gremlins doing as well as it did, mm. they kind of went, "Oh, little monsters, throw money at it." Yeah. So it, it kind of it did eventually get made because of that. But it was its own thing well before Gremlins. Um, and and, and I, 
as much as I love Gremlins, it's it, they're completely different movies. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely completely different. Yeah. Uh, I did jump onto the Bounty Hunters, which I think are fantastic, <laughs> and I love the special effects of them morphing into somebody. Mm. Um, I think it's it's really fantastic practical effects that just still hold up today, which really shows you why practical is better than CGI most of the time. Yeah, it's just that physicality, isn't it? I mean, like even now when when you get like Black Panther is is a perfect example actually. You know, a lot of people are raving about Black Panther now and th there were so many effects in that man that just took me out of the movie because it just yeah, it was it was it was it was too bendy, it was too shiny. It was it just didn't have that physicality about it. Whereas practical, you just can't go wrong. You can't beat it. And even when, even when practical effects date somewhat, there's still something about them that has more charm. Um, and yeah, so it, it, I like that there's a lot of practical effects in this. I would love to see what this would, would be like if they did a Blu-ray transfer and really cleaned it up. Because um, so far they've only released it on DVD, which is a shame. And I am holding out for that Blu-ray box set. But yeah, I mean, fingers crossed. I'll deal with that if anybody, because that's right in their wheelhouse. It's the kind of thing they oh. could knock out. Uh, easy enough. Um, let's look at the cast, uh, and it's got a pretty terrific cast. It's got um, what D. Wallace Stone, M. M. at Walsh, and uh, let's not forget Billy Zane with here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first, first to go. Well, one one of the first to go. Um, yeah, I just think he's got a, a particular look about him that just says douchebag. <laughs> he he does. He has that look of douchebag about him, but I I don't think he comes across as a douchebag in this actually. Um, like, because the, the, there is that tendency with eighties. Horror films, slasher films in particular, where you know the the boyfriend, the dude, the dude they're gonna kill off pretty early on, they will make them a full on douchebag, um, and I don't feel that from this guy. Like he's he's obviously he's trying to date this 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 girl, you know, and he's he's gone to dinner with the parents, and you can see that he's trying to be nice, and even when she, like she's the one who's been a bit more forceful, sexually speaking, she's the one who's trying to drag him into the barn. And he's a bit cautious. He's a bit like, you know, you, you can tell that, yeah, he's not just your common old garden variety douchebag. So, um, I, yeah, I like that. I've always liked that. Um, but that's, that's a fantastic role reversal mm. sequence, especially in the mid-80s when you would always have the guys like, try to pressure the women to have sex and then like, somebody would storm off in a huff mm. um, and get murdered straight away where it's this time it's... You look at it kind of funnily wise because she's uh, sexually aggressive mm. uh, and and he that puts him in the back foot and he doesn't really know how to handle it and he's he's all uh, no let's let's take our time here let's mm. just slow down a little bit and it's definitely something that adds to the movie. Yeah, I I think so, um, and and it, it is hard now actually to to view this through the lens of being in the 80s and, and you know you do you do make a good point um i think anyone who's never seen this film or certainly didn't see it at the time it came out they 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 wouldn't have that perspective uh you know like we, we think nothing today of 
of the woman being sexually aggressive. You know, we see that in, in films all the time. But, yeah, like you say, given given the time and, and the, the, the slasher movies that were around when this was around, then, yeah, that was something that was quite quite different, I think. Yeah. Uh, one of my favourite chari- character actors is M. Emmett Walsh, mm. who it must have been about this time that he did Blood Simple as well. Yeah, but, few, um, few, yeah a couple of years before this, I think. Yeah, um, I think this guy's great, and I love to see him in any movie. He just enriches whatever role he's doing. Mm. He's a sheriff in this one, yeah. Harv. Um, it's, he's great. It's it's his dryness. That's the thing. It's like he has this air about him that he just can't be asked. Um, it, it's not that it's not that his characters are lazy or anything like that. It's just the way. It's his delivery, I guess. He always has that almost can't be asked vibe about him. Um, but it's just every, everybody and everything is an inconvenience. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think that sums it up a bit, a bit better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Scott Grimes plays the twelve-year-old boy in this, and uh, he's actually an actor that m- most people would probably know for from ER. If you've ever seen the TV series ER, uh, in in the later seasons, he he came into that and he was this really annoying doctor who managed to just get away with doing nothing all the time. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a complete contrast to the character he plays here. But I, I liked him in ER as an actor. Like I say, the character he played was an idiot, but I liked him as an, as an actor. And he was also one of Robin Hood's merry men in the, uh, in the Ridley Scott version of Robin Hood um, but yeah I, I've not really seen much from him these days he's not exactly a big name so if if they were going to revive the Critters franchise why not get this guy back that's that's all I'm saying just throwing that out there um, yeah yeah why not and, and um, making his debut as a director was Stephen Herrick yes no. Do you know some of the other things that this guy did? I did, yeah. Is, Miss, Mr. Mr. Holland's Opus. He did, yes, I suppose that jumps out at uh, uh, some people. Uh, for me, it's Bill, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, so I was never a fan. but. <laughs> and, and don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Mm-hmm. I like that. The Three Musketeers yep. with uh, Keith Sutherland, uh, The Mighty Ducks, which I yes. really enjoyed. Yep. Disney's adaptation of 101 Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. He did the, the, the Mark Wahlberg rock star movie. Yeah. Um, he he did a, a lot of other stuff as well. Bit of a low point that was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, this guy did some phenomenal movies. Like Bill and Ted's has lasted the test of time as well. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's had some big hits. He's one of those directors who, you know, like if you look at that list of films we've just reeled off, with possibly the exception of Rockstar. All of those fi- all of those films were hits, you know. They made money and they were pretty cheap as well. They weren't expensively made films, and they did make a good return on them. So, uh, I think uh, as as a director for hire, which I think he would probably be described as, I think he uh, turned out some, a pretty good output. Oh, definitely. Um, now, what about uh, D. Wallace Stone, Brian? Right, Dee Wallace Stone. Um, she is, I mean, we've been over this before. We went over this when we did our Frighteners podcast, so I won't bang on about it too much. But yeah, I, I had such a huge crush on Dee Wallace Stone when I was 10 years old. Um, 
yes, even at that age, you, you do get a, you start to get a sexually active mind. But um, yeah, I, I remember her from Cujo. I remember her from this. And I remember around that age, I, yeah, I found her strangely attractive. Um, I think most kids that age would have been going for the sister, maybe. Nope, I was going for the, <laughs> for the older woman. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yes, yes, you're going for the mother figure, and we won't psychoanalyze that no, whatsoever. No, we will not. We will swiftly move on from that. Okay. So let's, let's get to the crates themselves. Mm. But by the time they show up and we see them fully, we've had this, the, the science fiction special effects, we've had the characters built up, the photography's pretty nice, and then they get these uh, hand puppets. <laughs> <laughs> and some, sometimes they look a little bit off. Yes. Uh, not, but to, to the movie's credit, you, you never... You, you still see them as characters. Mm. Yeah. Because of the way they're they're, ta- they're talking and having that the language and, and working together to attack the family, mm. so what, what drew you to the the crates? There's a certain charm about them, isn't there? There's there's like yes, like if you look at gremlins, there's obviously a lot more work has gone into them. They have you know proper arms and legs that move in in a very kind of realistic way, uh, but they and they did a lot of stop motion work with them as well, and I. I think that takes time, that takes effort, that takes money. And obviously when you've got, a, you've got no budget, you have to get around that. So how do you do it? And making these things into these little, almost like evil hedgehogs that can roll up into a ball and then just roll, you completely circumnavigate the need to spend money um, and, and yet remain a physical effect. So, I don't know. And I just like the look of them. I like these huge mouths that they have. And they kind of have, like, multiple layers of teeth. When, when they open their mouth and you look inside, it's not just, like, front and back teeth. They, they're layered, and they go back pretty far. Um, I, yeah, I've always liked that design. There's something kind of cute about them, even though they're really aggressive little buggers. I like the idea of them. I like the fact that, you know, like I said, the umpteen times they've got the language, they communicate, they attack by thinking things out and not just little monsters. Um, but I love the way they just, they can roll mm. and they can use that as a force to attack, the way they can... Um, fire darts, fire. yeah. Yes, yeah. and paralyse people. It feels fully realised. It's a, a nice little um, thing as well. And then the fact that you get... They can grow. Yeah. You know, they can get bigger. It's pr- yeah, I mean, like... Obviously, we'll talk. We'll talk about the other three films, but this is really the only one where we we get to see the full extent of that, you know, because we get a ma- the the ma- massive critter at the end. Um, but uh, I, I just like the evolution of these things. You get the sense that these things are the result of I don't know assuming evolution exists you get the, the result the feeling they're the result of like millions of years of evolution and they've just developed all kinds of defenses because at first when you know when they show up and they they arrive you're kind of like okay 
they don't really seem that threatening. You know, if they make a surprise attack out of the dark, like they do on the father, and, you know, they, they grip around the neck, they have, like, a, a bite that's something like a bulldog. Once they've got hold of you, they don't, they don't let go. Um, but if you see them come in, you kind of feel like you could defend yourself from them. <laughs> There's, they're not that yeah. much of a threat. But then as the film unfolds and you start to see just how aggressive they are and the fact that they can fire those darts they're not just these little fur balls um, they have other things at their disposal they become even ever more threatening as the film goes on and then obviously by the time you get to the end towards the end and that massive hand just kind of comes through the uh the the, the dresser drawer and starts grabbing and you realize this thing has got massive you start to think actually with a ton of these things running around, the threat really is that if you allow them to keep on eating, then we're in serious trouble. Because, like, if, if it was just a case they stayed what size they are, you could go somewhere, lock yourself in, wait till they've moved on, uh, or, you know, think, think through what you're going to do, then go out and, and attack or whatever. But with these things, the longer they are left, to their own devices to eat, the bigger they are going to get. And the bigger they get, obviously, the harder they are going to be to, 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 yeah, to, to attack. So, yeah, I, li I like that evolution of them. I like the fact that they're not just simple little creatures um, that don't evolve. Yeah. I feel at some point we're going to have to, to get there, so let's get there sooner rather than later. Charlie. <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> okay, Charlie. Uh, uh, so we're in episode uh, one, or movie one of this franchise. Charlie is a a, a, a drunk, a failed, just uh, sports prospect who is down in his luck <laughs> and yeah. believes in little green men. Yeah, simple-minded. Let's say. Um, yes, simple Jack. <laughs> yeah, he. Um, See, I, I like Charlie as a character in this film. And at a stretch, I kind of like him in the second film. But he's... The strange thing is, to me, Scott Grimes was always the main character, you know? Um, and I think that was evident by the fact that in the second film, he comes back, you know, um, even before we see Charlie in that film... Uh, his character comes back. Uh, so he was always the main character for me. Uh, and with him being the child as well, it, it does have that 80s vibe. You know, in, in the 80s, it was always kids going up against these threats. So it would never occur to me to make Charlie the, the, the star of the show. And that's what happens. Not in this film, you know, not, not quite in the second film. But yeah, by the time we get to the third and definitely the fourth, this dude is the star. He's the, he's the one who, yeah, gets the most screen time overall across the whole franchise. Um, so yeah, looking at the character just purely on the basis of the first film, I wouldn't expect that, nor would I want that, I don't think. Um, here, I don't really mind them. Mm. Uh, as the movies go on, we'll get to it. <laughs> but, but here, I can deal with it because he is like a side character. He is somebody who's 
just basically there for some comic relief at certain yeah. points. Yeah, and that, that's that's fine just now in this movie, because mm. um, it is all about the house and uh, what's kind of going on there with the family. They're the main protagonists mm. here. Anything else you want to talk about with Critters, Brian? Ah, uh, just. I don't know. I, I, I think I just I like the family dynamic. I like the, the I, I think they've cast these four actors very well, the ones that make up this family. And I like the fact that for the most part, it stays in this home. You know, uh, they, we do go to the town in a few scenes, maybe talk a little bit about them before we move on. But uh, mm -hmm. it is essentially a home invasion movie. Because um, it it mostly takes place at this family's house with these critters trying to get trying to get in, um, and I like the dynamic as I say between this family. You've got the 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 older sister and the younger brother. The younger brother's a bit of a pain in the ass. He's always using his catapult against his sister and things like that, and just winding her up as brothers and sisters do. I like the mother and and father kind of relationship and how they interact with the kids. Um, so yeah, I th I think. That's one of the reasons I liked the film way back when. Because most 80s horror movies, you look at the, a lot of the slasher films, adults were always either absent or complete douchebags. Uh, you know, um, the, the, it was always about the kids. It was never really the families. The, 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 the adults were off doing something else and the kids would struggle with whatever was going on. Um, here we get a proper family, uh, you know, a middle class family and with, with, with everything that that entails. And I think, yeah, I just I related to that a lot more, I think, growing up. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of friends who had parents who divorced and things like that. And I think they related more to, you know, a lot of films like Nightmare on Elm Street in which, you know, the main protagonist is in that situation and yeah. as I say the parents are pretty much absent for most of it uh, whereas me you know I, I did I came from a family in which my mum my and dad were together and loved each other and I had times with my brothers where we just wind each other up so I, I think on some level that's why I related to this film a bit more than those others as well so yeah um so you wanted to talk about the, the town sequences, Brian? Yeah, just one in particular, I guess, uh, which is the church sequence. Um, there's, there's also a pretty funny bowling alley scene, but there's a really <laughs> amusing church sequence in which you... Um, so you've got Ugg and this other bounty hunter who keeps on changing shape. He can't, he can't quite get his shape. He's not decided on who to be yet. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they, they go into this church. They can't quite drive properly. The car just smashes in. They walk in there with these massive guns. Then the bounty hunter changes shape into this priest who's just been doing this sermon, which is the kind of sermon that kind of makes you understand why a lot of people don't want to go to church on a Sunday morning. Um, and, the, and, yeah, and then Armageddon seems to happen to this congregation. You know, they... they uh, looking at it, they could very much believe it was some form of Armageddon. But I, I just, I find that amusing. I thought it was a really funny sequence. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of humour in the film, uh, a lot of nice horror bits. And, yeah, I just, I love it. It's, it's a real, real, I won't say guilty pleasure, it's just a pleasure. I enjoy it immensely. Yeah, it's, it's a fairly quick watch as, as well. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take long to like, sit down and really just enjoy this. I think the, the, the movie's, what, 
an hour and 26 minutes, I yes. think it is. They take off the credits, yeah. so 80 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Cracking explosion as well at the end, I must say. Yes. When the house blows up. Uh, like, you can tell this is low budget, and when, when the house is going to blow up, you'd expect maybe not as much impact as you get from it. It's like they, they really blow that thing up. Um, you know, I'm a sucker for a good explosion, and they definitely give you a good one with that house at the end. Yeah, and I love it when it comes back together again. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that. It's it's a little bit kind of Superman turning t turning back time, but um, yeah, it 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 cleans up loose ends, I guess. And then we get a little sting at the end with the the crates eggs. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, so just wait, just wait to give out scores for this, Brian. Yeah, should we should we go ahead? So now, um, like the the child in me, you know, way back way back when would have said this was a perfect five. I'd have given this a five, no trouble. Um, now, you know, being a bit more, yeah, a bit more critical, uh, trying not to just go on nostalgia. I would still say this is a very solid four out of five. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. It's a four out of five for me. Um, I think being in the time and the place when this came out, it, it certainly holds it in good stead. But I think somebody could come to this now who had seen maybe a few movies from the 80s and still realise that this was one of the better things that came out. I mean, against the Gremlins, which had great budget, mm. you know, it, it's, it's stayed a little bit more uh, the legacy of the things. It's a bit more nostalgic. But you look at other movies like similar budget, similar themes like Ghoulies, <sighs> this is way better, yes. way better than that. Um, so yeah, it's for me, four out of five as well. Yeah. So Brian, do you want to give us a synopsis for Critters Two? Absolutely. Okay, Critters Two. Here goes. Directed by Mick Garris. Uh, former resident of Grover's Bend, Brad, played once again by Scott Grimes, returns home to visit his grandma. Unbeknownst to him, or the rest of the town for that matter, some eggs have been left behind after the events that happened there two years previously. So, not only does Brad have to deal with the local bully, but a new batch of critters too. <laughs> Very well done, Brad. Um, I can't wait till I get to Critters 4. <laughs> Just to see how you work that. Yeah, so straight away in this one we have a completely different tone mm. from the first movie. Yeah. It, it's definitely leaning towards the far more tongue-in-cheek. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and how do you find that? I, I see it as a bit of a step down, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, I, like, I think that there was humour in the first one. There was, there clearly was. But I always felt that the director, he kept it in check and he, he always made sure that it was in line with what was going on in the story. Like the, the humour was born out of the situations, you know, so uh, like a, a critter reacting to his partner getting blown up by a shotgun and he drops an F-bomb. You know, it's, it's humorous because it's unexpected. But it's not. It, it it's it's not outlandish. You know what I mean. It it makes sense. Whereas here, I feel like 
they've come in and, and they've done what happened with a lot of franchise, franchises back then, particularly Nightmare on Elm Street, where, you know, Freddy became a bit of a joke, uh, started riding, riding broomsticks and the like. Um, and yeah, they've just, they've amped up that humour. And I wouldn't expect it to be to this level so early. Like maybe, maybe by the time we get to part three, part four, but like the direct sequel, they've instantly gone, right, let's crank up the humour. Um, and, and like I say, because the humour doesn't come out of natural situations, it's like, it's like they've gone, right, let's do something funny. So they've, they've, they create situations for the sake of deriving humour from them, um, which is a shame. Uh, I, I still like this film. I think it's a good sequel. But it's definitely not quite on par with the original in, in my book. Yeah, the, the first one for me is a horror with some comedy. Mm. This is a comedy mm. with some bits of horror. Yeah. And, and I feel that it's, it's such a drastic change in tone that you can't help but notice it straight away. Um, a lot of the scenes are, are overly lit. It looks almost like a, a TV production at some points and you have the feeling that it's taken away the atmosphere, the dread, the scares, the possible threat that they had and now it is just funny little monsters running about eating people. From what I remembered, I remember watching Critters 2 a lot, way more than the first one. I, I don't know why that seems to stick in my head but you know, watching this, it's... it's it's easy to see which one's better. Now, um, the, the the weird thing about this one, trivia-wise, is it's written by David Toohey. Yeah. <laughs> Pitch black. <laughs> Pitch black, yes. <laughs> um, so you can actually see, like, through the, a couple of these, it'll come in other movies as well, that these have talented people either in them or behind the scenes oh, yeah. in all these just, movies. Just wait till we get to the third one. Man alive. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, like you know, just going back to what you said, I like I know I've spoken to people online who do genuinely think the second film is is the best of the bunch. Who think it's better than the first one, and <clears throat> I think there's a direct correlation between the age of those people and and uh, yeah and and their taste. And um, because I find I I do think that as a younger person, you might. I think you would enjoy this one because when you when you're you know when you're a kid you do go for the humor you do go for the body count you do go for the kills there's definitely a lot more of that in here there's you know there's a lot more kind of sex if you want to call it. it's not that not that you see anyone having sex but nudity you know if, if, on that front you know if, if you're a if you're a cheeky little teenage boy then obviously you're going to be like yeah boobs <laughs> Um, you know, but yeah, so there's all that stuff. There's there's a lot more kills. There's but the kills are like you say they're humorous. Um, so I think as a young person, I could understand why you probably watch this more. When you come back to it as an adult, you realise that ah yeah, there's that there's that thing about quality, and this definitely doesn't have it compared to the first one. Absolutely. Um. So. One of the main thing it brings back the bounty hunters from the first movie, mm. um, and we have Charlie coming with them now. We have a little bit of a backstory it ties into it um, at the start of the movie with the, the bounty hunters hunting something down, mm. 
and Charlie gets in a bit of bother and gets saved. Um, so we get this feeling that a bit of time has passed. Charlie's been away with the, the, the bounty hunters, learning their kind of skill set and what they do. And now they're called back to Earth for crates, which have... It's changed from three eggs from the first one <laughs> into what looks like two dozen. Yeah, yeah. It's It's like they didn't... They left that stinger there on the off chance they want to do a sequel, but they didn't quite work out how many critters they would need. Um, and obviously in this one, they go full-blown and just wreak complete havoc. Um, so what do you feel about Charlie coming back in this one? Um, I, I, I think... I think it's fitting for this one, in a way, um, because... Like Brad is back, you know, and they were best friends. So it is nice to be able to have that relationship again and have some growth, I guess, between the two characters from where they were last time. I think my problem is when we get into the next ones, when you don't have Brad there, but you still have Charlie. That, that to me, is when it becomes a problem. Because for me personally, Brad is the... The, the star character obviously the critters are the star character but he is the he's the lead he's the one who is the hero so to speak um yeah so, so charlie's back and he's a little bit more uh, capable than he was in the first one he seems a little bit smarter and mm. he kind of knows the bounty hunters and has a shorthand well with he's him. off the booze um, for a start yes yeah yes he's off he's off the booze and i mean this kind of runs into like the third one but we'll get to that when we get to it but this one it feels fitting it feels that he's there it, it has that connection between the sort of main character and the, the bounty hunters and mm. kind of integrates them both together a little bit more because the bounty hunters seem to be kind of protecting the townspeople this time yeah a little bit whereas last time they just wanted to kill crates yeah I mean there's been growth there as well hasn't there like clear, clearly um, there's that almost like a Terminator thing um, you know, a Terminator 2 vibe where these these bounty hunters, they learn. And this was before Terminator 2, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, yeah, just saying, you know, James Cameron, I think you've stolen a few things here, mate. Yeah, T-1000, yeah, T-1000, you know. Where did he get that idea from, eh? Shape-shifting, uh, yeah, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Don't get me started on Critters Four and Alien Resurrection, but we'll get there when we get there. Um, I mean, it's, it, I mean, now you see it. Like there's um, there's a small, uh, a teenage boy lead character mm. protected yeah. by a, 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 a bounty hunter kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Critters may be a bit more influential than people give it credit for. That's all I'm saying. Oh yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah. So you've got. These bounty hunters that, that you know, when when we're first introduced to them, they're complete aliens. So they have no human emotion. They're very kind of logical. They have a purpose, and they're there to do that purpose. But you get the sense that obviously, flying around space for a couple of years with Charlie in their back seat, a bit of Charlie's humanity is rubbed off on them, and. Yeah, they've grown. So that feels natural in that regard. So even though these characters, you know, all, all of these characters that come back are, are different, um, some completely different, if you want to look at E. Emmett Walsh's character, 
<laughs> but they're, you know, they're, they're different from a personality standpoint, but in a natural way. You feel that actually, yeah, this is two years growth. It's natural. I, I can get on board with this from a character standpoint. Makes sense. Yeah, and like you say, we get Brad back, and Brad's a little bit older. Still seems like a, um, I don't, I don't know what age he is here, but he comes across as maybe like fourteen. Mm. Is that a bit too young? Uh, I think he's uh, maybe a little bit older. Maybe he's like cracking on for fifteen, sixteen, something like that. I, I can't quite remember. Um, yeah, yeah, and he does pretty well because. You can obviously tell the history that's happened there. Like he, he doesn't want to talk about the crates. He doesn't want to mention anything about it. He's obviously been put through the coals because of it. Uh, and he uh, doesn't want to believe that they're back to start off with, mm. which is a nice a nice turn. Because usually in these movies, they instantly jump to, yep, and they're back. Yeah. I, it's, it, I, I picked up um, a bit of a Nightmare on Elm Street vibe from that, actually, because the... What one of the sequels? I can't remember which one, or it may even be the remake. I don't know, or it may actually be Freddy versus Jason. Um, there's the bit where the teenagers have suppressed it, so the ones who lived through it have kind of suppressed it, and they don't. Oh yeah, it's the guy. They're in a mental hospital, aren't they? It is Freddy versus Jason. They find the guy in a mental hospital, and he he believes that. Everything that happened with Freddie was all in his head, that it was all, yeah. So he kind of, kind of suppresses it. So, yeah, I do think about that. But, once again, like I say, this came before that. So, if anybody robbed any... <laughs> I'm just going to make a tenuous link now to every film that came after and uh, just say that it's one of the influ most influential films of all Fair time. Enough. But, uh, no. Um, yeah, where were we? So yeah, there's 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 that vibe there, definitely. Okay, um, some of the no, it does go for a lot of jokes. Mm. Uh, one of the ones that I feel is detrimental to this movie is the one in the Hungry Heifer, with it's got all the. It feels very much like they're ripping off, uh, Gremlins. Yes, yes, yeah, in the bar, definitely. And, yes. and it, it feels unnecessary. These are smart creatures that know how to attack why would they be sidelined by this yeah it, it it does seem like they've lost their intelligence uh maybe it's maybe it's being on earth too long i don't know but um yeah just when you saw their kind of pack like behavior in the first one the way they weighed things up they were smart they were they made judgments here they do just act like yeah wherever this food that's where they go, and that's it. They don't think about um, what might be leading them there. So, yeah, and, and like you say, that, that's, that's the one scene, I think, out of all of these Christmas films that jumped out at me, out at me as pure Gremlins rip-off. Um, you know, they, they, because they've filled the place with these critters, you get little little moments to see like different kind of characters and doing different crazy things with the food and yeah that that is straight out of, straight out of gremlins so at that point it was a bit like yeah we don't need this really yeah uh, and um, we get them out of the house we get them into a small town you've got all the villagers kind of gang gang together and it just feels it just 
it feels as if he's lost everything that the first one had. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no intimacy there, is there? It's like confining this family to that house and getting to know them. It, it, you, there was a threat there. That's the thing. What they did with the first one is they, they went to the town a little bit and they killed a few people in the town, you know, the, the, the sheriff's right-hand man guy, um, you know, and, they, and they, they messed a few bits up with the, with the bounty hunters. They did some damage. So when you know that the, 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 both the critters and the bounty hunters are converging on this house, You've grown to like this family. You kn- you feel like you know them because you've seen them interact with each other. They're four very distinct characters. We like them, so we feel that they're in danger. We feel that there there is a threat there. Um, but uh, yeah, once once you take it to the town and you open up the whole world, you know that the whole town becomes involved in it, embroiled in it. There becomes less people to care about. Because you then know that, well, okay, they're cannon fodder, they're cannon fodder, they're cannon fodder. And, th- and that's all it becomes. It's like setting up bowling pins and knocking them down. And that, that was always the problem with slasher movies in general in the 80s. Was that by the time you get to even just the second film, you know, like you get to sequels, it became just about cannon fodder. How many people can we kill? And what ingenious ways can we do to kill them? And I think that's why I was never, why I was never fully committed to the slasher genre. Like I do like a good slasher film, but it tends to be the originals. You know, if you look at the first films in those franchises, they always tend to be the best. Um, so, and and I feel like yeah, Critters Two it does it suffers from that desire, that need by the studio to up the kill count, up the humour throw in as many people as possible so we can kill as many people as possible um, and then because of that there are less characters to care about um, and the story starts to kind of derail and go off track and lose its way a bit there's no focus mm. um, whereas there was with the first one so yeah yeah it, it feels like a appeal imitation of the, of the first one really but it's not to say this without it's um, good points as well yeah. one of the things I, I do like is when the critters show how smart they are by drawing in one of the bounty hunters into a trap mm. um, it's good to see that they haven't completely forgotten that these things are actually intelligent as well as being vicious yeah. and the bounty hunters are their enemy and it, it, they, they swap them draw that in and when they know they've got it, that's when they all like show themselves. Yeah. I really like that scene. I thought that was pretty fun, pretty entertaining. Mm. And it, and for some reason, and like it's quite bizarre given how many times I watched Critters as a kid. Um, but I always, I always thought that that bounty hunter got killed in the first film. And every t- every time I go back to the franchise and watch them again. I'm always surprised by, oh yeah, he he survived the first one. It's the second one where he gets killed. So it's, you know, it's good because there is some level of attachment to the character. Not not quite as much as you get with, say, Ugg, because he never, he never picked his true form. He never kind of solidified what form he was going to take. So he was, he was always expendable in that regard. Um, 
But yeah, it's you know they they essentially kill off quite a main character from the first film, which. And then we've got the, the one that dies off is the one that keeps changing yeah. into various different guises as well. And they kind of play it as a joke a lot of the times. Mm. Um, one thing I will say, when it turns into the the, the, um, the, the model, mm. I do like the fact that she's got the, the staple <laughs> on her stomach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is, uh, yeah. It is a nice touch. Mm. But other than that... I, I, it's a struggle this one. I found this one pretty much like after the first one, directly after the first one, and I watched these like almost back to back. This was a bit of a disappointment. We do get some great scenes, like I said, with the, the critters, the craze, and then we get the, the ball mm-hmm. of uh, critters at the end, which is a great idea. Yeah. I do like that. There is there is some to... inventive things in it. Like, yeah, I, I liked the ball. I, I, I do think that when the ball rolls over someone and we see that they're a complete skeleton, to me, they stretch it too far. Like, I, it would have been better if, yeah, that guy was dead once it had rolled over him, but just like a... You can still see that, yeah, there's flesh on his bones. He's still there, but there's a lot of chunks missing. Um, but to be a complete skeleton when it's, just, yeah, too far for the sake of humour... Again, that's it's that like thing. A type of thing. Yeah, and it's that thing again where the humour overrides the horror, which I don't like. Um, and it, we get to the end of it, and we get the scene where it, it looks as though Charlie has ran away and left everybody to their doom. Mm-hmm. When he comes in at the last minute to save the day. Yeah, and uh, we get another another decent explosion. Not quite as good as the the first film, I don't think, but still pretty. And it's it's good. It's pretty good because you've, you've got this character of Charlie who's over the two movies, he's had a bit of an arc mm. and has sacrificed himself mm. to save all these people, these people that he knows and kind of loves. Mm. And you're like, fantastic. Yeah. Love it. I wish. Great finish. <laughs> <laughs> but they just, yeah. they can't do it. They, they can't, they can't do it. It's just, and it's... It's annoying. I would have rather they would have uh, sacrificed him. I, you know, I, I could see the look in your face when you're saying that then. It's just, yeah. Uh, but they don't. He parachutes out, they bring him back, and then he becomes the star of the show for the next two movies. But hey-ho. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, anything else about Crash 2 you want to talk about? Uh, no, not really. Just... I don't know, just, just do a round-up, I guess. Um, look, I, I, I think it's an entertaining movie. Uh, I think that it's it's nice to have all the characters back from the first one, even if they do recast one of them. It would have been nice to get the mother and father back as well, rather than, rather than kind of inventing this grandma that we never heard about in the first film. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, and then we get all these side characters that don't seem to really go anywhere because they're just there as cannon fodder. But at times, that cannon fodder stuff is entertaining. Um, the bounty hunter stuff is entertaining. Uh, like I say, it's, it's the, if, if, especially if you're a 12-year-old boy, I think even more so for two very obvious reasons. Um, but, uh, yeah. The bounty hunters. The ba- yeah, the bounty hunters. Um and yeah, there's some nice beats of action. I just don't think it's it's as well directed. I think that I've probably for me the funniest joke is when 
the bounty hunter is looking at the cardboard cutout of Freddy Krueger and Charlie runs over. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, and it's, I thought that was pretty funny. Of course, this is do this film is done by the same studio who did uh, Freddy, the, the Freddy films. So, you know, they had license to do that. And, and it suddenly kind of popped into my head when I saw that this time around. How awesome would it be to have a crossover movie? Nightmare on Elm Street with critters in that would be flipping awesome. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> forget Freddy versus Jason, critters versus Jason, uh, critters versus Freddy. That would be that would be my cup of tea. Um, but yeah, it is entertaining. It's just it's, it's definitely a drop down from the first film. Uh, I think as well, nostalgia still comes into it for me. Probably too much um, in some people's opinions. But I'm gonna I'm still gonna give it a solid three. Out of five. Yeah, I mean, there's certain things I like about it. There's certain things that I just shake my head and go, wrong choice. Mm. It's not like it's a, a bad choice particularly, but I would like to see it stuck more in the horror vibe of things, which I feel it, it detours a little bit too far off. It kind of course corrects a little bit in the third one, but just now it's a little bit of a sidestep. But obviously they're, they're doing what every second sequel to a, a franchise kind of does that tries to up the ante, mm. up the laughs, just up everything rather than keeping it stripped back to the basics, which the first one did so well. Yeah. Um, we never really talked about um, the bunny rabbit sequence, but, you know, that that was kind of... I, see, I think that was the first moment when you, re when you go, ah, humour. Because they have, like, a weird Benny Hill-style music going on behind it. And it's like all, all of a sudden, like, like up till that point, I thought we, we were we were good. We were on track. And then, yeah, when that bunny rabbit thing happens, that's when the tone just suddenly goes boop and, and you realise you're in a different film. And then there was one, one little thing that niggled at me as well was the two um, bounty hunters. It was Lee and Ugg. Mm. And then it just, I was like, Lee, that's a weird name. And then it clicked, Ugly. Because <laughs> the two guys were <laughs> just like, okay. Um, I don't know why that clicked in this one and not in the first one, but um, yeah, I mean, the movie's fun. It depends. I'm more of a horror person, so I gravitate towards the horror centric one, but it's not to say that I can not see what's enjoyable about this. I do think it's typical of, of the sequelitis that comes along. Um, it brings back some of the characters and almost finishes off one in a fantastic fashion. I think if it killed Charlie off here, it would have been a fitting end to that character. And I would yeah. like to have seen Brad continue mm. throughout the series rather than Charlie, but don't do that. I think I'm I'm dithering just now, Brian, because in my head I'm weighing up between a two and a half and a three. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to go three as well. Yeah. I think I'll go three on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I feel it deserves it. Yeah. Okay, Brian, we're on to th uh, Critters 3. Right, give us your synopsis for this one. Okay, <laughs> so Critters 3. The... Uh, the debut of one Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, we, we have to start with that. But uh, yeah, here we go. Synopsis. A group of people are struggling to keep their apartments thanks to some dodgy dealings from their landlord. But that is the least of their problems because once a new batch of eggs find their way into the building, they have to ask themselves... How will they survive with a bunch of critters free? 
I don't know if I'm going to give you that, Brian. Was that three or three? (laughs) (laughs) Very, very loose. Very loose. I'll give you points for trying. Um, Yeah. Okay, so like we said, um, the high point in one Mr DiCaprio's (laughs) career. um, Never quite managed to match Mm -hmm. up to this uh, Mm -hmm. movie. I I don't know why he didn't get his Oscar for this one. Neither do I. Neither do I. Mm. Right, where do we start on this one? (laughs) Okay, first of all, I will say this. I think this one does correct the mistakes that were made by the second one. Um, I think it, it in in many ways, gets back to its roots in the sense that it confines the critters, it confines a small group of main characters to one location. You know, at the start of the film, we do we do have a little bit in the town where we see Charlie living out in the woods like a bizarre hermit. We're introduced to these kids, and then we end up at this apartment block and then from there on out that's where we stay we stay at this apartment block and i think i think confining ourselves to that location allows us to yeah get over those hurdles that we just talked about with the second one which is that you have limited number of characters um and things don't get too out of hand with regards to uh yeah, the logistics of things. So yeah, I think it's um echo pretty much what you say there. Like the, the opening scene, um, seems tacked on and a little bit forced because you get a lot of the characters meeting up just by happenstance in this car park. Mm. And, and they yeah, and they just happen to all share the same apartment building. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then the kids are just yeah. talking about the woods when they bump into a predator. <laughs> Charlie, <laughs> is that a child predator? The child predator, yes. <laughs> to give the children some shiny gems and um, yes. maybe show them some puppies. Mm. Uh, who knows? <laughs> and it's, at the end of part two, you have Charlie who mm. saved the day. He seems like a competent-ish yeah. hero. He's been given the sheriff's badge, which we never talked about, which seems yeah. ridiculous in itself, but. Yeah. Um, he seems to have regressed from there into mm. a complete buffoon. Yeah, like even more of a buffoon than he was in at the start of the first film when he was drunk. Like this, like th- this is literally a different character. Um, like th- the character change in the second film was natural. It felt like growth. This feels like two steps back. What the hell is going on? Um, it, 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 yeah, it feels like they need, or they felt that they needed to bring back a character from the original two films in order to, I don't know, tenuously link them together to make them still feel part of the same franchise. I don't think you need to do that with this franchise. As I explained at the start of the first film, these are aliens that's all the explanation you need. You have a little meteorite crash anywhere on the planet that you want to set this thing, and boom, you've got your movie. We already know the, the laws of the critters, the rules of them. We know how they operate. That's, that's it. That's all you need. A, li- a little rock, crash lands, then let's have some fun. But no. Instead, they decide, you know what? Let's make this about Charlie. Let's make Charlie 
the central figure of this franchise. Let's make him the hero. And it doesn't add up, especially, as you say, given the fact that they've, they've taken two steps back with this guy. They've made him a complete idiot. Mm. Yes, so, but thankfully, we don't have him for 95% of the movie. Yes, thankfully. Thankfully, that is the case. Um, we get rid of him. We get this father figure who I kind of like. He, he seems borderline competent. <laughs> <laughs> at the start, yes, he does. Yes, yes at the start. And we have, uh, the more the film goes on, not so much. Yes, and we, we have... Um, the, the kids who are fairly decent at it, you can kind of attune to them fairly easily. They take mm. over the role of Brad in the first two movies. Yeah. Uh, when they get to the apartment block and we start to see the various people there, it's not overly populated. There's enough people that you, you can kind of figure out who each of them are and it doesn't feel like it's mm. overloaded like the second one was with all these various characters. And because you have such a tight-knit group of people, there is people there that you know are going to die but you get to spend a lot of time and you may not want them to die, which adds a lot of weight to the movie as well. Yeah, and you're not sure which ones will. That's the thing. Because, like I say, they don't... Obviously, the guy down in the basement is going to die. He's a douchebag. He's got douchebag written all over him. Obviously, the landlord is going to die. He's a douchebag. He's got douchebag written all over him. But every other character is pretty much someone that actually is pretty likeable, you know? It's someone that you could imagine surviving by the end of it. So, yeah, you know, other than those two douchebag guys, it's like, I don't actually know who's going to cop it, yeah? Who's going who's gonna to get killed? So, yeah, you know, like with any slasher, usually you can tick all the boxes, you know exactly who's going to get it. It's just a matter of when. Um, so, yeah, I do like that aspect of it. Again, like, like I say, it comes from that, you know, confining to this location thing. Who's your favourite character out of the bunch? I like the old guy. Right. Okay. I like the, conspi- the, the, the conspiracy theorist. Yeah. yeah. yeah yes. the, one who, okay. the one who hears the, the little boy's story and goes, oh, I think I know something like that. And he's got a scrapbook <laughs> out and he's like phoning people and he's trying to figure out what's going on. Um, it's... You don't really get many characters like that that instantly believe a small child's story. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 what about yourself? I, for me, it's the it's the it's the woman who ends up dangling from the wire for much of the end of the movie. Um, the masculine telephone worker. Yeah, yeah, the masculine telephone worker. There's there's just something about her that is quite amusing. Um, she reminds me of a couple of other actresses whose names kind of escape me at the moment but uh but yeah i think she's quite funny quite kick-ass uh uh yeah so but but that's what i mean that's what that's what i mean we get this core group of characters that are actually fairly likable so instantly it, it makes me like this film a bit more now before we got into this before we went back and watched these going purely off memory i'd have said this was my least favorite yes. of the entire series yeah I've got to say, that isn't the case anymore. Watching it this time round, um, I actually enjoyed this perhaps more than I should have. Um, so I mean, I don't know where you still stand on it, but yeah, 
I, I will say that much. Um, this is this is much better than I remember it being. Yeah, I was the same. I I hated it for some reason. Mm. I don't know why. I, I don't. I can't think of of any particular reason as to why I didn't like it. Um, but maybe it was just a different time and place. Maybe I, I like I said, I used to watch Crash Two a lot. This was much different than that. Um, mm. But yeah. You get the return of the critters who are rather vicious in this one as well, who mm. take no prisoners. We don't have as many of them as well. Mm. And uh, they're back to being the smart selves. You know when they, they yes. know when it's time to run away, they know when it's time to draw somebody in. Mm. They're not jumping about a restaurant eating a salad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- th- there are some times when I feel like we could have done with a little bit more critter action. I, I feel like there's, there's like the final third or the middle third, I think more so, uh, is where most of the critter action takes place. And there's some stuff that goes on in the kitchen where they keep repeating the footage or they keep going back to that same footage. And you're kind of asking yourself, how long is that one critter going to sit there doing the same thing with wacky music playing over? And it, it just it almost just kind of acts as um, a scene divider, really. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I, so I, I'd liked a bit more carnage, on-screen carnage from these critters, but we do still get a fair bit, I think. Yeah. Um, and do you know, the, the, I think the funnest thing about this movie is all the people that would have watched it because Leonardo DiCaprio was in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's awesome. Um, mm. but, but yeah, I, I don't know if I've got too much to say about Crash 3, so go on, let's, let's, let's see if you can come up with some points for us, Brian. Um, well, I, I think mainly just... I, I think there's a, a fair bit of atmosphere in this, and that comes down to that apartment building. It's a bit skanky. So we've got this this guy, this landlord who is literally trying to make his own apartment block unlivable because he wants his residents to move out uh, so that he can then sell the land on and make a fortune on it. So, yeah, as a result, there's the, the apartment block itself, because it's quite run down, it has, it has a bit of atmosphere to it, I think. Um, and the moment when he gets killed also is quite effective and I, yeah. I, I, I I think even at this point you know um, I think it'd be very easy to dismiss DiCaprio in this film because of the film but he does show a fair bit of range even at this point like the, the bit when he you know the landlord guy cops it because this landlord is his stepdad, um, stepdad yeah his, his adopted father uh, and he has a bit of a barney with him just before he gets killed. And then and then when he sees his body, or, or, or hears him behind the door, he, he hears him getting attacked, doesn't he, behind the door. And I like his reaction to it, you know, and you, this sense of guilt that you get from him because, yeah, because he's literally just essentially said that he hates him and then he wishes he'd die and then, and then he literally does. He gets killed. So I like that bit. Um, I will say that... It, it seems quite clear to me that the the main character that I think that or, or who the filmmakers are trying to push as the main character in this one is the girl um, and the relationship between her and her father 
know, she's she's lost she's lost her mum. Her father hasn't taken it particularly well, so he's not really dealing with it. He's not going out and getting a job, um, and he's not really speaking to his daughter. And I think that's that's a decent setup, you know. Um, but I don't think it's handled in the best possible way. Yeah. I think th th there's a bit, and, and again, it's Charlie. It's Charlie that ruins it. See, this th there's a moment towards the end of the film where they completely missed their opportunity because what's supposed to happen here is the father is supposed to redeem himself with his daughter you know he's he's been ignoring her he's not really dealing with her in the way that a father should and at the end she's she's dangling from a building and he helps her up you know he goes over he, he helps her up. This is after Charlie has jumped in the line of fire, grabbed this critter and fallen off the building uh, in order to save her. And then the dad just goes over. After, after that's already been done, she's just hanging there and he pulls her up. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, dad. And, he, and he's like, oh, I've, you know, I've been such a terrible father. I'll make it up to you from here on out. You know, that, what on earth? Surely... From a writing standpoint, this jumps out at me. Surely it should have been the father who took that bullet. Surely it should have been the father who jumped in the way of that critter in order to save his daughter, thereby stepping up to the plate in the way that he hasn't been doing throughout the rest of the film. That was his rede redeeming moment. That was the time when his character arc essentially did what it needed to do but because they're trying to thrust Charlie upon us as, as this central hero instead Charlie gets the glory moment and then all the father does is go over and, and help his daughter climb up something that she probably could have done herself and then all of a sudden oh he's redeemed himself in his daughter's eyes what a load of crap <sighs> so yeah like I'll, I'll, I'll give my wrap-up. I, I like the main bulk of this film. Everything with Charlie in kind of annoys me. So we've got the, the five minutes at the beginning when he pops up, and I'm like, the only reason I'm annoyed by that is because the fact they changed him so much. They made him a complete idiot. And I'm like, what on earth? But then, as you say, he leaves for pretty much 95% of the, of the running time. And I'm fine with that. I'm happy with that. And then he pops up at the end again and becomes the hero. So everything in between that, I really like. I find very entertaining. I like this core group of characters. I like some of the kills. Loving the critters back in action. Like you say, they're both smart and funny. Um, and then, yeah, Charlie comes along and completely derails it. He, he steals the moment that should have gone to another character given the story that we were being told. We were being told this story in which this father is somewhat absent. Not a he's not a bad dad. He's just suffering the loss of his wife and he's not de dealing with it in the right way. And as, a such, as, 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 as such, he's keeping his daughter at a distance. So that moment at the end should have been his to save his daughter, redeem himself, and, yeah, get out of whatever this funk 
is that he is in. But no, they give that moment to Charlie and he does nothing. So, yeah, bad writing as far as I'm concerned. I think it's in. Yeah, who's your score, Brain? Right. <clears throat> My score, again, is a three. Uh, like I say, as, as much as I hate Charlie in this, I find all the other characters very enjoyable. I find the setting enjoyable, and I, I really like the critter stuff. So that that those those two quarters of the film that are in the middle is is really good. It's what I want as a critter's fan. Yeah, I think we're we're kind of on the same page again on this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hated Charlie. I really hate him, and it, mm. it's starting me. It's starting here to make me resent him in the other two movies as well, because of how mm. annoying he's become. Um, when he appears in this one, it's pointless. He's there just yeah. as a connective tissue, which isn't needed because we have the critters as a connective tissue. That's all we need. Um, he's there at the end. This was made at the same time as Critters Four, and they had this grand idea of what they were doing. You know, they were going to make. Yeah. They were making the two of these at the same time, which is why. Mm. Charlie's only in it at the start of the end. They were yeah. simultaneously filming both of these movies, you know, two different directors. Yeah, um, it it is essentially one movie. Um, they, they did a they did a Back to the Future on it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I like the kids. I like the actors. I think they all do perfectly well. When they get into the building, it becomes atmospheric, horror centric, and very critter esque. Like the first one, and it does all those things perfectly well. Um, it's just yeah. everything with Charlie pointless other than that yeah. I really like this one more than I remember because I remember this being the worst of the bunch it's not um, and, and mm. as much as same as you I gave it a 3 out of 5 yeah I, I was really surprised yeah. um, now I don't know if you noticed but one of the story writers behind this in the fourth film uh, someone who is quite quite a big role on the production side of things for, for three and four is Barry Opper. Now, Charlie is played by Don Opper. So, yeah. I don't know, like, it would be very coincidental if these two guys shared the same name, but I'm guessing that these are related in some way. And that's why all of a sudden this became a family venture, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Part four, directed by Rupert Rupert Harvey, um, you know that big name director. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, here we go. Critters four. After being cryogenically frozen by accident, along with a batch of critter eggs, Charlie wakes up in the distant future on board a space station. The station is being manned by a group of space pirates who are awaiting the arrival of Ugg, who is on his way to collect the remaining critters. But what does he want these critters for? <laughs> I'm going to let that one go, Brian. That one's all right. That one's pretty damn good. I like it. I like it. Um, this one gives us Angela Bassett and badass kick-ass for it. Now, Angela Bassett starred in Strange Days, directed by James Cameron's ex-wife, Kathleen Bigelow. Yeah. And he had a hand in yeah. that. Um, he did. He did. And he wrote it. Yes. So, again, 
he's, he's, he's borrowing that kick-ass character from, <laughs> from Critters 4. And mm-hmm. we've talked several times about the impact Critters has had. This is the first uh, horror franchise that goes into space, which is soon followed by uh, Hellraiser and Jason. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously Alien started in space, but... Um, but and yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta say as well, there are more than a few tenuous links between this film and Alien Resurrection. Um, like I never realised how glaring actually. Um, not not least of which you've got Brad Dourif, okay. So Brad Dourif, who one of, one of my favourites, really great actor, he's in this film. Bearing in mind this 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 film predates Alien Resurrection by a good few years. Um, I think four, six, seven, seven years, something like that. Six, six years. Yeah. Okay. So we get these space pirates, right? Essentially. You know, they never come right out and say space pirates, but you get the sense that this is a ragtag crew that kind of just do jobs for money. They don't work for anyone in particular. They just kind of roam around, seeing wherever they can find work. Um, In Alien Resurrection, we get these space pirates, a ragtag crew, who end up going to... This, this space station place, this military space station, it might, I might add. And, uh, yeah, in this one, it, it's a military installation, military space station. And when they get there, they find that some cloning experiments have been happening using the critter DNA or alien, some kind of alien DNA. And in a load of glass vials, jars, whatever you want to call them, they have the results of these experiments, like different specimens, failed attempts at cloning these aliens and, and creating a weapon, creating a, an alien-like weapon. Where have I heard that before? Like alien resurrection, seriously. That, you know, there's that whole scene where uh, Ripley goes in and she finds all them clones of herself and she gets upset and she demolishes them all. Um, but they're all, they're all part of this military experiment to clone her, to get the alien DNA, extract it out of her and create an alien weapon. And I'm like, I'm sat there. What, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't twig this all those years ago when I first watched Critters 4. Because I've, I've not seen Critters 4 for years. I never watched it in the way that I... I did with the first one. I've, I've never really watched any of the sequels in the way that I watched the first one, which was loads of times. I did not pick up on this the first time I saw Critters 4. I picked up on it now, and I'm just like, man, Alien Resurrection seriously ripped off Critters 4. And I'm not even joking about that. Uh, and you even get the bit towards the end of the film that it is... Now, now when was Alien 3 done? When was Alien 3 done? That was... Let's, let's just have a look. Um, nine, 92, so same year as this, okay? So 
Um, in Alien 3, at, at the end, you get Bishop uh, turning up to, to kind of talk down um, Ripley, stop her from destroying the last piece of this alien DNA. Um, you know, he wants it for this military thing. He, he is essentially a friend, uh, well, an enemy, I should say, who has come in the shape of a friend, a farmer friend. And in this film, <laughs> we get Ugg, you know, from the previous franchises, who was Charlie's friend. He turns up now, and he's, he's now the leader of this evil corporation who's doing these experiments, trying to create this weapon from the critters. And he's turned up as this, you know, as the face of a friend to, to get these eggs from Charlie. And Charlie has to make a decision to say, actually, you know what? You're not my friend anymore. And he destroys the eggs. And I'm sat there thinking, man alive, this is like... This is an amalgamation of, of Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection before those films were even made. Or certainly at the same time one of them was made. Um, and it's just, you know, I'm sure it's sheer coincidence. Uh, but I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's quite, like you said, it's, it's a little bit too... Um, familiar to call it coincidence, it really is. Mm. Especially you know, alien resurrection. It is. I mean, <laughs> you can't you can't say it's coincidence when it has that many crossover factors. And surely Brad Dourif's got to be like, you know, I'm sure I've made this before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he's reading the script and he's got to be thinking, well, I I've done this movie before, but. This is a different character, and this franchise is obviously going to get more people seeing it. So, I'll do it. But yeah, this this is like it's scary how many correlations there are in this film. You know, right down to the like again as well at the beginning, you've got the cryogenic freezing. Yep. You know, and he wakes uh, Charlie wakes up, and he's hundreds of years in the future, like with. With Ripley, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, oh, like you could say that they robbed that one from Aliens, I'll give you that one. But there's, there's definitely this, it's almost like Aliens kind of ripped, uh, Critters ripped off Aliens and a bit of Gremlins to create a, a thing. Uh, and then as it went on as a franchise, it became something which then the franchise is, it was, is ripping off, started to riff, riff on it. Um, I, I just find it amusing. I, I do. I find it really funny, really hilarious that no one... I've never seen anyone point that out before. Um, but to me, it just kind of... Yeah, it screams alien resurrection. No, it's not this movie's fault at all. <laughs> I like them um, and it's a good job because there are not many critters in this film uh, this is you know this this is a critters film 
And I would say the biggest criticism I have of it is that there are no critters. <laughs> Did you see that? A criticism? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's, there's barely any critter action. And it's, it's really disappointing because actually... I, I like these characters. I like the setting. I think despite the limited resources, the limited budget, they've managed to create a decent looking low budget science fiction film. Um, I, I think they, you know, they do a good job of, of get, helping us get to know this band of characters. Um, and then they throw Charlie in there. Charlie. I mean, it doesn't seem as buffoonish as it was in part three. Mm. Yes, yes. That that is that is a plus point. Um, I, I do like the captain. He's particularly um, menacing. You know, he seems very mm. dubious a character. Um, and then yeah. I, I do like Angela Bassett's character. She's like um, she's Ripley. Yeah, she is. She is. Like. The thing is, Angela Bassett, she just has that believable kick-ass female. Yeah. You know, if, 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 if you want to cast someone as a kick-ass female, you cast Angela Bassett. She's a, she's a great actress, and you believe that she could beat the crap out of you as well. Um, you know, I watch Strange Days, and when she's like, she's punching some guys around, I believe it. It doesn't, it doesn't look like fancy choreography that, you know, in, in real life would... would end up with her and like on her ass i actually believe that she can take those guys down and so yeah I, I always like it when they cast her for roles like this i love brad durif you know we've been over this before we've we've, we've reviewed we've, he's probably the actor we've reviewed <laughs> most to be honest uh you know x files uh eyes of laura mars this uh, i'm pretty sure there was another one he was in that we did uh but escapes my attention at the moment but yeah uh it's brad durif i like him he's he's great and he, again he's playing a different character here you know and i think when you think of brad durif you think of slimy worm tongue style characters um but he does have he does have a lot more range than i think people give him credit for uh you know uh, oh halloween that was it he's rob zombie's halloween we mentioned him once i think in that he was the only good thing in, in ha Halloween too, uh, but yeah. So we, we've pretty much just got two critters in this uh, in this mm. movie. Yeah, one gets a haircut, so we can tell the two apart as well. Um, mm. And it feels again kind of just a few critters short of a basket. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. With this franchise, everything they do seems to be two steps, one step forward, two steps back. So, you know, in, 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 the, in the second film, they, they just went overboard with the humour. You know, they, they, they pushed it too much and they went overboard with the number of critters. Like, let's, let's, just, let's just fill it. That's what people want to see. Let's just annihilate it with critters. Um, and, you know, so they didn't really understand what made the first film so great. And then when, when they do another sequel, they're kind of like, OK, no, 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 we need, we need to pull back a bit. We need to pull back a bit. So what they do is, is they pull back too far. 
<laughs> to the point where actually this is essentially just a science fiction film, mm. and the fact the fact that a couple of critters show up halfway through becomes a bit of a moot point. Um, you know. So yeah, I I like to me. You can see the thinking. Yeah, the critters one, it just works. Yeah, critters two. Yeah. You know, people love the critters. Let's give them more of that. Wikes, that didn't work too well. Let's scale it back again. Less critters, that works. Oh, yeah. It did, but, it worked. But, but we've got Charlie, but we've got Charlie. We, we just keep Charlie, he's the constant. But yeah, less mm. critters for critters three. Wow, that worked. <laughs> I've got an idea. Let's go three <laughs> with less. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Here's a good one. Yeah. Critters <laughs> five, um, no critters at all. <laughs> man alive. But you know what? It's a shame because... I, I do find Charlie less annoying in this film than I did in the third one. Um, I think the, the 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 film itself is is really well set up. I like the set the 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 set design uh, given the budget. I like the fact that Ugg becomes a villain. I think that you know g- given the fact that this guy's been around for a hundred uh, a few hundred years now, you can buy that again. That's that's character growth you can buy. It's not like Oh, a, you know, a couple of decades later, and all of a sudden he's a villain. No, this we we have no idea what this guy's been up to for the the, the past hundred years or so. Um, so yeah, all of a sudden he's he's a villain, um, and I liked that. I liked that character shift. I liked the fact that Charlie then has to make this choice: does he does he trust this this guy who was once his friend, or does he or does he not? Um, so that to me was was some pretty decent conflict there. Uh, it's just that lack of critters. If if you'd have put a lot more critters in this film, get them in there earlier, have a bit more carnage, maybe have a few more crew members on the military base that they can then kill off mm-hmm. when they get the critters there, this would be easily, easily my second favourite critters film. Easily. Um, in, in fact, it, it, it may have even been good enough to get a four if, if you'd have just put those elements in see, see when you see the, the genetic testing machine or the thing that's mm. making it I thought one of them was going into that again and going to duplicate mm. themselves yeah but, yeah. I thought that was going to happen but it never quite came that way no which is yeah so that to me is the biggest shame so unfortunately and, and it, th- with this one it does actually pain me I I've got to give this a three out of five. Um, and it's just so simple, a thing to fix. Yeah. More critters, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Put a few more critters in, put put a few more, like, a bit more mayhem in there with them. And, yeah, you've got yourself a really solid entry into the Critters franchise. But as it happens, it, it just ends up being another one that is entertaining but flawed. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100% yet again. I'm giving it a three. Um, I, I wanted to give it more. I remember really liking this one as well. Um, mm, yeah. uh, it never quite lives up to that, but it has so much going for it. Like you say, it just has mm. all these different facets, a lot different from the other Critters movies that, that just kind of elevate it a little bit and it's really uh, steeped in that sci-fi fashion. You know, it's, mm. it's From the opening um, movie, you see that science fiction world, you get in this one a little bit. And it's just a shame that it yeah. doesn't 
it doesn't get a chance to really explore that with these critters in this world as, as much as you would like. Like I said, it's a three. I can't differentiate too much between two, three, and four. That's been I said at the no. start. It's kind of across the board, and it is. They're all yeah. good movies. They're not great, mm. but they, they just do enough. And I, I don't. I can't think of another franchise that says even, especially in the yeah. horror landscape, is this. Yeah, like like it just like when I reviewed the Nightmare on Elm Street films on on my channel, it was it was almost like a, you know, one of them. Um, life support which is ECG. up and down up and down yeah ECG like you could see the line going up and down with regards to quality same with the Halloween franchise up and down up and down Friday the 13th was mostly just down um, you know, with, with, a couple, <laughs> <laughs> with a couple of gems out of, the, out of those three you know it, it's probably my least favourite but I look at Critters and I think despite the, despite the faults we've mentioned here tonight yeah it is a consistent franchise it's, a, it's good, you know. Um, the first one's really the only one that I would call a very good film. And the rest, are, you know, they're good. Mm. They're entertaining. They're solid. I can recommend them. Uh, I think you'll find something to be entertained by in them at some point. Uh, it's just, yeah, like I say, if, if they were just a little bit leaner with their writing and a little bit meaner in Critters 4 with, with their Critters, then, yeah we'd be given much higher grades, but what about ranking? Um, if, if, well, quickly, just let me interject and we'll, we'll just briefly touch on this, but the fan-made film, Critters, Bounty ah, Hunter. Okay, yes, okay. Um, I didn't know anything about this. Um, I just stumbled across <laughs> it after I'd watched Four Critters and I thought it was terrific. I thought the special effects were great, especially in the bounty hunter's face. I thought the critter yes. was excellent. It takes it into the house. I know much to the first one. And I would love to have seen a movie from this guy just tackling this world again. Yeah, I, I think... Um there's a possibility that this the guy who directed this maybe has too much love for it, mm. um, which is probably why it'd be a bad idea for me to direct a critic's film. I don't know, maybe not, um, because I don't know. I, I, I feel like this is essentially just a, a side note from the first film. It, feel, it feels very reminiscent of the first film, just like a very condensed version, um, but just, just between the bounty hunter and the... Uh, and the critter itself, but but I will say I did like it. I, I liked the recreation of the things from the production. There was only like six crew members on this. Like literally six people made this film. So when you when you when you factor that into the equation, that's even more impressive. I love what they do with the bounty hunter's face. I think it's a vast improvement on the the actual bounty hunters from the films. There's kind of this like marble yeah. effect on the face that moves, and it, it it's very otherworldly, very alien like. Um, and and like if you know if they did some more critters movies, I I would, yeah, I would love it if that's how they did the bounty hunters. I love that effect. Um, the critter looks like a critter. You know, you can tell they've. I I don't know if they've bought that yeah. prop from from a critters convention or something i don't know but uh but yeah th th yeah there's good work good work's gone into it it's a very simplistic film very simplistic idea you know it, it is a shot essentially a bounty hunter just goes into a house tracking this critter down 
and and yeah, and kills it. Uh, I will say that the, the the gunshots from the blaster aren't anywhere near as effective as they should be. Uh, you know, when he, when you've got this big ass gun from the bounty hunter and he starts shooting, the it, the holes that it leaves are yeah, it, it makes it look like a pea shooter and not the insanely oversized gun that it is um again you know that that would be budgetary constraints it, it is it's a very short independent film made by six people so you, you have to kind of make for allowances um but uh yeah you know I'd, I'd be happy to see what this guy could do with a proper budget uh i i wouldn't be against him making a a actual critters film if they gave it to him certainly more so than say the director of the third and second film um but uh yeah it's good it's entertaining um it's it's not it's not long enough yeah. for me able for me to be able to judge it uh, by by the same merits that i judge the feature films as a as a fanboy of the, of the critters franchise it's a great little side note i do love it yeah. okay so, so if i ranking these do you want to start from number one and it worked down um, or do it work from like fifth place so it's down to one. Start, start, start from fifth place and work our way up. To okay, the, uh, right, I'll, I'll just. Do you want to go one in each, or will I just run through them? Just run through. Okay, um, Critters Bounty Hunter. It's not long enough mm-hmm. to be the thing. Yeah. Uh, number four, I'm going to put Critters Two. Uh, mm-hmm. Number three, I'm going to put Critters Four. Number mm-hmm. two is uh, Critters Three, and number one, Critters. Mm. Yeah. I have to agree completely um which is bizarre because we rarely do with things like this but um no i like i say if you put put some more critters in critters 4 it becomes my second favorite critters film but you you cannot you cannot call something critters 4 and then not put critters in it um you know it's a good film it's just not a good critters film I mean, you need to have at least uh, four. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you need to at least have four critters. Exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, it it would be a very simple fix to make that film so much better. Um, and like we say, that the shot doesn't really come into contention, but that's because it's a shot. You know, uh, it is essentially just a bounty hunter with a special, a, a good special effect on his face, walking around a house for five minutes um you know it's well shot but it is just yeah it's somebody walking around the house you you need more to make a judgment if you're going to start ranking uh so mm. yeah but that, that that's not to say i don't fully appreciate what the guy did with no budget and a very small crew so okay so the top five brian for this episode was your choice and you chose home invasion mm-hmm. Now, yes. just want to quickly state that I hate home invasion movies generally. <laughs> I, I, I find the sense that most of them are looking people breaking into the house and torturing people, and I get zero enjoyment from that. So I've looked at it as movies that are spent mainly in one location, a house where somebody has broken into it or is doing something inside it that's invasion-y type of, type of thing. I made all those words myself, right? <laughs> they don't I call me thesaurus Davidson oh, yeah. for nothing or at all <laughs> um, so who's going to go first on this one go on you go first ok my number five and um, 
they're all kind of stretching the, the home invasion a little bit as hard candy. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely love this movie. Um, a movie about about a suspected paedophile who has the tables turned by an extremely smart adolescent young girl who has outthought everything against this predatorial man. Um, I absolutely love this movie. And when you recommend it to people, you can see them kind of go, ooh, and you tell them the plot. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's an amazing movie. They have to check out. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the director, actually, David Slade. He did 30 Days of Night. Um, yeah, so. And some other movies. Well, he also did the best Twilight movie. I'll call it. I'll call it. He did the best Twilight movie. Um you know, his hands were tied, given the fact that it's Twilight. But considering it was Twilight, I think he did he did manage to produce something that I would actually call a good film. I wouldn't go any further than that, but I would call it a good film. Um, but yeah, uh, I I did have Hard Candy on my uh, honourable mentions, but we won't get into them. Uh, I, what I have noticed is that the best home invasion movies tend to be ones that have a bit of a twist, where... Often where the the main antagonist turns the tables on the people doing the home invading. Um, but yeah, uh, for, for me, uh, my number five is don't breathe. Because, yeah, you know, the, you have these criminals breaking into someone's house. And yeah, oh boy, was it the wrong house to break into. Uh, really good film. Yeah, um, my number two... It's the terrifying Home Alone. Um, <laughs> I think this movie's fantastic. Even after all these years, it's kind of come a Christmas tradition in my house. Where we sit and watch it. It's funny. You get the the the, the, the wet bandits getting their comeuppance is always my favourite part of it. I, I just it's one of those movies that I've just loved for the longest time, and I still do. And it is technically a home invasion. So was that your number two or your number four? Number four, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay. Yeah, so my, my number four is the uh, fairly recent The Babysitter, which I just thought was highly entertaining. Um, just really irreverent, very humorous, uh, and surprisingly directed by McGee. Easily his best film, yeah. without any shadow of a doubt. Um but yeah, one of the better Netflix, one of the better kind of Netflix produced yeah. movies as well. So. Yeah, my, my number three is Don't Breathe. Um, I like the fact that it changed the, the, this kind of subgenre a little bit by the people breaking into the house weren't the bad people, they were the protagonists. Um, mm. And damn, I've just had a movie pop on my head that wasn't in my list. I'll leave it for an honourable mention, but it would it would have been on here. <laughs> but yeah, don't breathe. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. My number three is Catherine Bigelow's Detroit. So yeah, uh, definitely one with a difference because in this one it's the police that are doing the home invading, and it's also based on a true story, and it's really good because it feels very believable it, it it feels hyper real um like i was tense throughout this entire film um yeah just 
really nail-biting stuff, um, must be said. The fact that it was a true story just makes it all the more so. Um, good. Yeah, my number two is your next. Um, one of my favourite horror movies in recent years because it sets up a story and you know exactly what's about to happen. But somebody has put a survivalist instead of a final girl in place. This is a woman who can more than handle herself and turns the tables yeah. on the people trying to invade the house. And instead of a screaming, running away girl, we get somebody who's going to stand up and fight back and does it in such a terrific fashion. I absolutely love your next, and that's why it's number two on my list. My number two is, and I, I uh, yeah, one and two, again, as, as is often the case, quite interchangeable. Uh, but my number two is Panic Room. So, yeah, just very definition of a home invasion movie, really, isn't it? Uh, just, but by David Fincher. So, when you, you know, when you get it by David Fincher, you know you're in for something special. Um, just very dark, very brilliantly acted by all concerned uh, and very stylish as well, must be said. Um, I am going to make a random choice right now to jettison my number one and replace it by that movie that popped into my head. Really? Yes. Um, so wow. I, uh, my number one is The People Under the Stairs. Um, right. I, I don't know why this didn't pop in my head. I love it. It's Wes Craven movie from the mid-90s, and it's basically about these three robbers that break into this house that supposedly has filled with riches. Um, once inside the house, the two robbers are, are off, and it's the young boy that's left in the house trapped, and he discovers a house of horrors. These people have been stealing kids to raise as their own, and uh, if they have been naughty or bad, they tend to scar them and then keep them in the basement. And it just snowballs into one of these most unexpected movies that I've seen in the longest while. I, I, I don't know why this didn't pop in my head, but this is a terrific movie. I really love The People right. Under the Stairs. Okay, just out of interest, what did you jettison from your number one? Night of the Living Dead. Right, okay. Well, for anyone listening, I just, just bump everything on Graham's list down one and then you get his top five. Uh, so technically, Night of the Living Dead is your number two, really? Yes. Yeah, okay. All right, well, my number one is your next. Uh, for all the reasons that you described, the central character of Erin has to be, in my mind, one of, one of my favourite final girl. well, probably my favourite final girl from, from any slasher film, um, definitely from a... Uh, home invasion movie i just i just loved it i and and i went into this film absolutely convicted that i was going to hate it because i hated the strangers i thought the strangers is one of the most overrated piles of garbage that i've ever seen i've not seen the sequel yet um and and this film it just looked like The Strangers. It looked like the exact same film. Uh, I wasn't really pleased about sticking it on. I only watched it because it was the same director as The Guest. And man alive. Like, the, the, the opening scene, I'm like, yep, Strangers. Once you get past the opening scene and the main character is introduced, it is so far from The Strangers that, oh, man, yeah, my kind of movie. 
absolutely brilliant, hilarious, really, really great drawn out characters, brilliantly directed, wonderful script. Loved it. And, and what a fantastic way, just to get this in here, to, um, if you don't have a lot of money for a soundtrack, what a way to just reuse the same piece of music and get an effect every single time. <laughs> it does everything really well. Um, yeah. Okay, so on to the next episode. So I have five movies. I'm going to read out some kind of summary. Uh, you will decide which ones we are going to jettison from the list and whatever we're left with will be our movie for next month. So, okay. number one, a psychologist must team up with a detective to take down a serial killer. Go ahead. Oh, there's Siri popping in. <laughs> I said serial killer. <laughs> that Scottish accent, serial killer. Yeah, uh, yeah okay. Um, okay, it's not what you think it is. Um, Number two, <laughs> um, a man wakes up in a motel room, unsure uh, of uh, why he is there and being chased down for a series of murders. Okay. Um, <clears throat> a man returns from the afterlife to take out his penance against people that wronged him when he was alive. A new street drug that sends its users across time and dimensions has one drawback. Some people return no longer human. And number five, um, mm. after being attacked one night, a man finds his life changed forever and must struggle to come to terms as, a, as well as being attacked in his workplace by an angry colleague as well. Does Alex Proyas have anything to do with any of these films? I am not answering any questions, Brian. And, <laughs> and, and just so you know, my notes were all deleted for this, so I have done all that on the fly. So I'm, really? yeah, I may not have the same synopsis again, if you ask me. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, it's, it's a weird one because a lot of those synopsis... Synopses? A lot of those synopses sound like multiple movies. Yeah, I've tried that. I, I think, if yeah. I take a guess, you've seen four of these movies. That psychologist and detective one sounds like it could be so many different movies. It really does. Um, oh, good grief. Um, and I'll tell you right now, it's not the one with Denzel Washington. That's all I'm going to give you on that. <laughs> Can you tell me the 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 one for the the last film again? The last film. After being attacked one night, a man must come to terms with what's happened to him, where he is attacked in the workplace by a jealous colleague. Oh, good grief! That's. <sighs> I mean, I'm going that synopsis from my memory. That could be. Hmm. I'm really not too sure about any of these, so I, I'm. They all sound like they could be either either a pile of crap or really good. Um. Oh man, get get rid of one and five. Okay, number five. 
was Wolf. <sighs> that Jack Nicholson and oh. Michelle Pfeiffer went. Oh man. Yep, I think I think you might be disappointed with one as well. Number one is Copycat. I had a feeling, I had a feeling the copycat because we talked about copycat recently. Um yeah, I, I'm not as disappointed losing that one as I am with Wolf. I am a yeah, I'm a sucker for Michelle Pfeiffer, what can I say? And I watched Wolf an awful lot way back in the day. Um Okay, g- give me the, give me the synopsis again for two, three and four. Okay, a man wakes up in a bathtub in a hotel and finds himself on the run being chased for a series of murders he seems to know nothing about. See, I've got a feeling that is Dark City. Um, g- give me four and five. Uh, sorry, th- three and four, I should say. Three and four. A man returns from the afterlife to take revenge on the people who wronged him when he was living. And number four, a new street drug that sends its users across time and dimensions has one drawback. Some people return no longer human. Uh, Right. Number two, I think, is Dark City. We'll get rid of that. You get rid of Dark City. Right, excellent. Um, I like Dark City a lot. I'm just not in the mood for it at the moment. And the one that's intriguing me more than any other at the moment is number four. Um, so we'll get rid of number three, which I think is either The Crow or possibly Dark Man. You have got rid of The Crow. Yes, okay. Okay, so you have okay. been left with 2012's John Dies at the End. Right. And this is the one that I think you hadn't seen out of all of them. I haven't. It's directed by Don Coscarelli, the man who brought us... Oh, no! <laughs> Phantasm. The guy behind Phantasm. Oh, man. I started a Phantasm review series on my channel. I did the first one, and I've never come back to it. <laughs> he also did Bubba Hotep. Okay. I really like John Dies at the End. Um, right. I've, I've, I've got a big, a big thing for it. I mean, really like it. So I'm, I'm hoping. But it is a weird one. It's really, I mean, Don Coscarelli, he also did The Beastmaster. Terrific movie. <laughs> I love that movie, man. <laughs> You're trying to sell me, really, on Beastmaster? You're trying to sell me on on Don Coscarelli based on the fact that he made Beastmaster? Beastmaster's awesome, Brian. Right, okay. Um, so please tell me what will our top five be for that episode? Brian, that's an excellent question. Um, you don't know, do you? No. <laughs> and I, I take it top five Don Coscarelli's off <laughs> well given that I've only seen two Don Coscarelli films so far um, if you want to make it a top three that'd be fine But um, <clears throat> top five movies of Paul Giamatti oh okay that's a, that's a good top five yeah happy with that He's got... next episode we will be looking at John Dye's at the end, which is going to be interesting. It's a movie you've never seen or even heard of by the looks of it. So, I, I want you, I want you to stay clear of it and just put it on and see what you think. 
this could be just a grim movie. <laughs> 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 okay, so uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to this monster episode, literally and uh, figuratively oh, yeah. as well, because it is one of the longest episodes we've done. I'd like to know what you thought of this, so if you'd like to um, leave us a review on iTunes, let us know that you listened to the Critters episode and that you liked a full series review, something we may look at later on. Um, we appreciate you listening and we look forward to seeing you next time on Brits on Fox.